Hi, this is Darius Teeter. Wait, wait a minute, hold on. No, no, that's that's not right. Okay, how about this? No? Are you sure? There we go. Okay, there we go. As I mentioned on a previous episode, we are collecting listener stories about how corruption and ethical challenges have affected your business for an upcoming episode of Grit and Growth. Your stories will be completely anonymous, and if you want, we can even change your voice. So it sounds like this. Your story could help thousands of people, so don't wait. Send a memo to Stanford Seed via WhatsApp at plus one six five zero two zero six three zero five five. That's plus one six five zero two zero six three zero five five. That number will also be in the show notes of this episode. Okay, on with the show. And business is not about me, mine, myself, but entrepreneurship is more than that. Entrepreneurship is about, you know, sharing and growing together. Franchising. It's a strategy we recognize from huge corporations the world over. But are franchises a model that you can harness for your emerging business? Only when everybody wins in your value chain will you succeed. How do we share the success? How do we make a business model that works? Welcome to the second season of Grit and Growth from Stanford Seed, the show where Africa and South Asia's intrepid entrepreneurs share their trials and triumphs with insights from Stanford faculty on how to tackle challenges and grow your business. You've certainly been in a franchise before. Fast food restaurants, clothing stores, furniture outlets. Franchises are ubiquitous across the world and they're becoming more popular in India even for local brands. It's not hard to see why. They are an asset light way to grow your business with other people's money. And for franchisees, it's access to an established brand. But it's not as simple as it sounds, and it's not always the right fit for your business. How do you decide if you should franchise? And once you do, how do you pull it off? Today, we're talking to someone who's learned hard lessons about franchising, who's been knocked down, and gotten back up again, and who's on a mission to bring more people into the fold. Hi, my name is Vijay Kapoor. I'm the founder and CEO of Dabi Responsible Menswear. Vijay is a fast talker, a natural salesman, but one with principles. Speak to him for 10 minutes and he can convince you to do almost anything. And that thing will be healthy and good for you. I first met him at a Stanford C training program where he convinced all the other CEOs at his table to take a meditation break. Yeah, Vijay, I mean, one of my one of my most treasured memories of you was coming in after the lunch break and during that immersion week, and you had your whole table meditating. I always believe in, you know, the power of silence. I always like to take a break, probably a minute's break, just silence myself, just do nothing. Well, if you want to do that now, we can, or we can get just get right into it. That would be great if you can take just a one minute, uh, you know, uh, silence and then we'll start off. And this one minute is basically for world peace and brotherhood and love. If Vijay can make a table of CEOs shut up for a whole minute, he can do anything. But his actual business is in retail, menswear to be exact. We are headquartered from Chennai, India. So Dabi is a men's fashion wear brand and uh, we are into men's clothing category. The preliminary products that we sell is... Uh, shirt, trousers, jeans, and t-shirt. And we run a chain of retail, exclusive retail stores across Southern India. 
I'm not sure if you caught it, but the full name of VJ's company is actually Derby Responsible Menswear. So what makes your menswear responsible? I think the word responsibility itself means responding with ability. So I've asked myself, what are the ability that we have to respond to the fact that garment is the second most polluting industry in the world? We happen to be a third world, so-called third world country where, uh, uh, where education and uh, employment is a major challenge. And uh, what is it that we could do as a brand to probably bring uh, better meaning to whatever we've done? I've been a part of the problem since I started off in 1994 with a two-machine tailoring unit. I've been a part of the problem for more than about 25 years. I think responsibility itself means it's inside out, it's not outside in. It comes from within, deep within. So the responsibility that we took is, can we get a little more sustainable? Can we use a little more uh, better ways of production in terms of using sustainable means of producing? Can we have gender, gender neutrality? Can we ensure that we are, uh, as a brand, can we uh, help empower people and also uh, spread uh, you know, the success that we have had through franchising? So that's what responsibility and that's what makes us responsible. Can you tell me a little bit about how you get started? What sparked your interest in, in the clothing and fashion industry? Okay. For my first job, I didn't know how to dress coming out of fresh out of college. And I was wearing one of those uh, flip-flops and just casual clothes. And the security man outside the building stopped me and said, hey, brother, where are you going? I told him I have an appointment. I need to get inside there. And he looked at me up and down, looked at my, you know, unkept clothes. And he said, please go and read the board. And the board read dogs and salesmen not allowed. And that was my first part, how important dressing is. But short story is I decided I'd get into clothing and probably help people dress well. Because if, you, if you're dressed well, the confidence comes out. And if you're confident, your inner strength and your talent comes out and you can go out and succeed. So Darby... Responsible menswear started small. How did it evolve into the company it is today? Uh, the vision was nothing much. In fact, when I wanted to start my business, I didn't have any money. So having that lack of rupees, I went to my father and asked him, Dad, would you lend me a lack of rupees? I want to start this business with a partner of mine. One lack of rupees, by the way, is 100,000 rupees. That would be about 3,200 US dollars at that time. Not insignificant, but not a fortune by any stretch of the imagination. And uh, coming from a middle-class background, the only response was, no, you're doing very well. Don't experiment or try anything rash. But by then, I had become a seasoned and a hardened salesman. So till my dad said yes, I kept repeatedly going back to him till he eventually said yes after a month. So he broke his provident fund account and gave me a lakh of rupees. And with his lakh and my one lakh of rupees, I went and gave it to my partner to start the business. After a week, when I went and met my partner, he said that, Vijay, I've already withdrawn whatever money is in the bank. I'm out of the business partnership. Here is a key to the premises. You take over from normals. I've exited out of the place. So before my business started, the business had flopped and I was absolutely devastated because I didn't know what to do. I could not go back to my father and tell him that I've lost all the money. I had already resigned my work. The security that I had was lost and I was totally devastated. Initially, when I started off, I started off with a two-machine tailoring unit. The vision was nothing much. All I wanted to do was fill my stomach, ensure I'm able to earn enough to take care of my family. And the customers loved the fit and comfort. And it was the customers who came back and said, Vijay, you are doing such a great job. You're tailoring such great clothes. 
but uh, it's taking a long time so why don't you make your clothes into ready mades why don't you put in your own label so that's how i got into branding darby and keeping it within the store and when i did that the turnover doubled and it really improved and uh, we were eventually able to grow from a two machine to a 10 machine from a 200 square feet to a 500000 to continue growing derby vj eventually turned to franchising but that wasn't his only option I am curious, you know, the other option you could have pursued, of course, is to have a Darby responsible menswear section in somebody else's department store, right? Did you consider that model or is it an option now? Is it interesting? We did consider and we did have it uh, pre-2008. We were available through large format stores. But the realization that we had is that you don't get the type of respect that you get uh, the payments don't come on time. There is, uh, you know, a lot of delays, and you are always kept as the as a fallback, uh, as a substitute option because it's still not among the top brands. You're not an international brand. You're not a national brand. You're still a local player, so you don't get the type of respect that you uh, that you deserve. Another alternative is to keep everything under your control by running your own company stores. That model also has drawbacks. So we decided very early that we, the route that we will take is go through exclusive stores. And it's actually very difficult to run your own exclusive stores because the footfall is purely dependent upon the strength of your brand. So building the brand strength to ensure the footfalls happen is the most difficult uh, aspect uh, that has to be considered. Of all your stores now, how many are owned by the company and how many are franchises? 95% of them are franchised and only 5% are company-owned. So we have ensured that we are only franchise-focused right now. Uh, multiple reasons. One is it makes us asset light. Second is we are able to ensure all our concentration and all our money is used to us developing R&D in terms of better products, innovation, in terms of, you know, and marketing uh, the brand well. And we are able to focus on what we are best at. What also appealed to Vijay about franchising was that it felt relatively low risk. The whole idea of franchising is, can you expand your business using somebody else's capital? Uh, that was the whole thought process when we did it the initial round. Can we get successful using other people's money and can we do it? So after 14 years of organic growth, Derby began franchising in 2008. Tell me about your thought process in deciding to switch to a franchising model. We were having extremely good success in southern part of India, we, uh, southern four states. We had close to about more than about 30, 35, close to about 30 stores. They were all company-owned stores operated by us. So that's when in 2008, we decided that let's start uh, expanding and let's start you know, franchising these stores out. And we wanted to take it national. To attract franchisees, Vijay settled on a financial model that was designed to benefit everyone. But how did you sell the idea of this franchise to all those people who decided to bet on you? Our franchising model is very simple. There was a threefold investment that the franchise partner had to make in terms of the uh, rental deposit that goes to the landlord, in terms of interior costs that is non-refundable that goes towards the investment of the location. And third is the stock deposit, the money that is paid to the company, to the brand, for these stocks that we provide, the stocks are provided on a consignment basis. So in case the franchise needs to shut after five years, 10 years, 15 years, eventually whenever it shuts, the entire refundable deposit comes back to them. So out of the three investment, two investment is, uh, is safe. 
One is your rental deposit, which is refundable, and the stock deposit, which is refundable. The way we had designed it, even in the initial days, well, the clothing was all given to them on consignment. That is sale or return basis. So we would take a fixed fee against which we would give them two and a half times value of stocks. So as they will sell it on a weekly basis, they would retain the commission or the profit margin and uh, the balance amount would get transferred back to the uh, brand. The profit margin was their margin on which they would use it for the entire operational expense. The operational expense that would comprise of the mall rentals, the air conditioning, your EB charges, and all your operational costs like your salaries and all other expenses would be taken care of by the margins that they had. Do they pay an annual royalty or a percentage of their profit royalty? Uh, the way we structure the entire uh, uh, thing is that we share profits. So uh, we supply goods to them on consignment basis. So in case the product is worth 100, so they retain 30% of it and 70% is given back to the company. So the 30% is the is their profit margin and 70% includes the cost of product as well as our royalty that comes back to the brand. So we started the whole footprint of opening up nationally. We opened up in North, South and East and West India. Simultaneously, we opened up close to about 24 stores at the same time. And they were all located in the top malls and the best mall developers. That's, that's the whole expansion that took place between 2008 to 2012. But the expansion didn't go so well. As Vijay discovered, franchises were far from a sure bet. By 2012, we were already falling apart because uh, we were extremely south, strong in South, but when we opened up nationally, we realized that we uh, we had done a blunder in the basic, uh, uh, the strategy was wrong, the way we expanded. We thought that the strength of the brand was already there in South, so people recognize in the different parts of the country. But India is a country where people uh, go more by word by word of mouth. Word of mouth is not nothing but reference. Reference. I like the product, so I'm going to, you know, refer it to a friend. So we opened up nationally just because we started advertising uh, on uh, newspapers, holdings. It did not bring us the type of traction that we expected and the franchise partners started losing money. In the years since Derby's initial franchise rollout, Vijay has had a lot of time to think about what went wrong. There were multiple strategy issues. First was that the brand strength was not there nationally. We had to create it. You need very deep pockets. I did not have any external funding. Whatever funding I had was completely internal money that I had earned over a period of time. So there was no venture capital. There was no money to burn. Second was that uh, uh, when we opened up all these malls, all these malls were themselves just being launched. Generally, the gestation period for any new venture, any new mall for them to get the ideal amount of footfall is a couple of years. It takes minimum two years for the mall to gain traction. And the two years is enough to kill any brand. Under Central, you have deep pockets, very difficult for it to sustain till the mall develops the footfalls coming in. What's fascinating to me is that you went, you went national, pan-India, all at once, right? There was no test. You were all in. This whole question of footfalls in the mall and footfalls in the store could have been tested, right? So was this uh, the triumph of optimism and ambition over finances? And, and related to that is, who did you go to for help as you thought through the strategy? On the hindsight, you're absolutely right. Uh, the best option would have been to probably design, think, and probably launch those one each and North, East, and West and see how it goes for a couple of years. And then, you know, 
take it forward. We did not do that. Secondly, I did not have any franchise advisors. At that point of time, franchising itself was a very new concept. There are not many brands doing franchising in the country. The country was just opening up and the economy was just opening up at that point of time. By 2011, we realized that the franchise partners were losing money. Uh, the stores were still not getting profitable and we could see that the bleed was happening. Uh, had we had deeper pockets, probably we could have sustained, but since everything was internally funded, it made no sense. So I started calling up my franchise partners and telling them, uh, I think we've done a mistake. Uh, it is not working out. It's better for us to shut. But I also took a very conscious call, which most people do not take. I also told them that I will be refunding them the entire losses that they made that included the cost of interiors and whatever operational loss they lost operating the business. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a story like this in the United States where the franchisor reimbursed the franchisees for their losses. But this was not a loss. Uh, uh, today, we do shut down stores. But today, when we shut down stores, it's more to do with the uh, market reasons, more to do with the failure of probably a franchise partner of not operating the way they had to operate. So when we pull the plug, but at that point of time, it was very clear to me in my mind, it was a strategy mistake. So I took the responsibility for it, did the whole calculation and uh, told my partners, say, I will not be able to pay you at one shot, but I'm going to do it over a period of a couple of years. So they were getting the money back. And for me, it was a big hit because I had to sell away most of the properties and most of my investment that I made till then, to the extent that I also had to sell away the home I was living in. I did not even ask my wife and I sold away our home. And uh, it went to the extent where I had to start borrowing from shark, loan sharks to ensure I'm able to honor my payments. I think I understand your motivation here, which is that you talked these people into signing up for these franchises, but then you felt that you had sold them something that wasn't real or that wasn't smart. And so it felt personal. I mean, it seems to me that you felt personally responsible for selling them something that just wasn't going to work. Vijay clearly has a strong moral compass. And strategic mistakes aside, he felt like there were some underlying problems in how he approached franchising. When we had these losses and when I had to sell away everything and bring everything back to the drawing board, is when I realized the fundamental mistake of flaw in my whole thought process. Uh, because uh, you've been given an opportunity, not that the business model did not work, the business model was a successful business model in South India, just that the way it was operated and expanded was absolutely flawed, trying to, you know, look at how I could gain. And business is not about me, mine, myself, but entrepreneurship is more than that. Entrepreneurship is about, you know, sharing and growing together. Only when everybody wins in your value chain, Will you succeed? How do we share the success? How do we make a business model that works? So I love this point, and I want to just make sure I understand it correctly. In the first model, you weren't thinking that much about what would happen to the franchisees. Their success was not necessarily top of mind in your vision. When you pulled it all back in and you rethought the model, you restated the model as we're successful together. Like-minded people together can do something huge. And my success depends on your success. That whatever the strategy is, the franchisees have to win. They have to be part of the success story from the very, they have to be built in. Their success as entrepreneurs has to be built into the strategy from the very beginning. It has to be part of the vision. Is that correct? the correct way to state it? Absolutely, Darius. We wanted to reverse the whole process. Uh, we asked ourselves, uh, 
the business model is strong. I think we know how to do business. Uh, we we have what it takes to succeed. So can we actually put this whole thing into in terms of you know putting the franchise in the center of it and ensure we start looking at his PNL? Can we ensure that he's able to make enough money? So the whole thought process when we brought the whole thing back to the drawing board in 2014-15 is when we drew the entire vision for the organization, which read to create thousand commercially successful entrepreneurs, and that's how we grew the business. Creating a thousand successful entrepreneurs is a huge strategic shift. To fulfill their vision, Derby had to understand what makes a good franchise. It all starts with a strong brand. There are a lot of opportunities for customers for them to go and shop with different brands. Why should they come and choose yours? They come to you because they believe in you, they trust in you. So building the trust is the responsibility of the franchise and the franchise partners. So how do you build the trust is something that you need to look at. Let's translate that into the services that you provide as the franchiser. When somebody signs up to open a franchise of Darby Responsible Menswear, what do they get from you? Do they get a manual? Do they get a style guideline for the interior of the shop? Over the years, you realize that the only way you can make people successful is when you structure the whole business and make it very easy for people to operate. We ensure that we give them a complete brand, uh, you know, manual a guidance. So right from how the store should look, what should be the type of interiors to the extent that who will come and do the interiors. We have about four to five good contractors who could uh, construct it to the brand standards at the shortest possible time. We negotiated prices so that they're able to get the best leverage out of the whole process. Uh, to the look and feel of the store, the entire sales staff, uh, we help them hire the sales staff train them, get them, you know, trained within our own store. We conduct training program for the franchise partners and uh, ensure that uh, we are able to scout the place along with them and ensure we locate the space. We help negotiate with the landlords so that we're able to get a good deal. So all the aspects of franchisee is uh, internal and we support the uh, partners in that way. But brand isn't just about decor or even the product itself. A brand is an emotion. So what's the type of emotion that you want people to connect with your brand? Is it that of love? Is that of happiness? Is that of, you know, joy? Is that of success? And the feeling and the emotion is generated right from the point of uh, the point of realization, the point of uh, truth. When customer walks into your store, it starts from the thing of, you know, the air conditioning hitting him, the right amount of music coming in, someone greeting him and say, hi, how do you do today? Or someone investing the type of time and not the customer not getting a feeling that he's being sold, but he's being served. I always tell my team, do not sell, stop selling. We are not here to sell, we are here to serve. So can you invest a few moments in terms of understanding what the customer is here for? What's his profession? What's his background? And what does he have in wardrobe? So that that is about, about 20% of it. 80% of it is the experience that he has after he buys a product. How the, does the product deliver the brand promise? Is it fashionable? Is it innovative? Is the fit and comfort what he expects? If you're able to deliver the brand promise, the 80% of it is taken care of. You know, one of the things that really strikes me about what you said is that consumers, when they walk into a franchise, they don't know who owns that store, right? They're only interested in the brand. So your franchisees are your brand ambassadors. And picking a bad one is really bad for the brand, right? So that's what I keep thinking about that. The brand is everything. And without the brand, there's no franchise. And and if the franchisee doesn't represent the brand well, the consumer doesn't blame the franchisee. They blame the brand. 
since they'll be carrying the banner for your brand. Identifying the right entrepreneur to run your franchise is another key piece of the puzzle. But the way we vet it is we, we call them, we send them the entire details or profile of the organization and people who are able to invest money, then we have a meeting with them in terms of understanding what is, uh, what is the process that they need to follow. And we find that yes, it is going to work. Having done that, we also do a complete competitive analysis in terms of who are the competitors out there, what the type of uh, revenue they're doing, what the type of profits they're doing. We also understand that. And having shortlisted, we go ahead and, you know, sign up with the franchise partner. We take a sign up fee, initial sign up fee of about two lakhs. We take up this two lakh rupees basically used towards marketing the franchise when the store opens up. Are you sometimes taking risks on people that just because you think this person has the drive and the personality, they just don't have the experience, I'm going to take a bet on them? A lot of our existing franchise partners are partners who have worked with us, who have been store managers and who want to grow and become franchise. And that's the moment of pride for me when I see people who have worked in the store who come from absolutely lower, you know, low income group who are able to go and take up a franchise. So we do support them at that point of time in terms of lowering the possibly the deposit amount or the stock deposit amount, or we give them the leverage at that point of time. And while capital is an important consideration for a franchise partner, it's far from the only thing. Always get in entrepreneurs who are passionate about what they do. Don't get in people just because they have the money is what I feel. Because if you have people who are equally passionate and also have the resources, then you'll find that the business becomes more fun, it's more entertaining and it's more, business should not be a stress. There should be a happiness, there should be a flow, there should be a sense of achievement. There should be a sense of fulfillment that comes out of work. And that fulfillment will never happen when money is the only focus. Money is an amazing byproduct, but a very poor point of focus. So when money comes out of the fact that you're doing service, when you're, when you're helping other people win, when you're helping, and when you see the smile on your customer's face, who swear by you saying that, I love your brand. That's, I think that's the most sweetest thing that you can ever have. So. In Derby's first try at franchising, they realized their stores weren't in the right place to get sufficient, consistent footfalls. So now, geography is a central component of their model. And they analyze tons of data to set up their franchisees for success. First, uh, in retail, what's most important is location. Number one to five is all about location. Location, 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 location. After that, everything else follows. So before we sign a franchisee, we are very careful about what location are we going to open up? What's going to be the type of footfall that's going to happen? What's going to be the break-even point? What's going to be the study out there? So we do the complete analysis. We invest enough time in scouting the location, finding out competitor activity, finding out what is the type of you know uh, revenue that we can generate. And we, we, we get into various models of scenario one, scenario two, scenario three, so that even in the worst of scenarios, they're able to make money. Do franchisees ever find themselves competing with each other based on location? As a matter of policy, we said that uh, we will not have any franchise partner within three kilometer uh, radius is what we have. We've given, given it in writing. So we ensure that we will never, uh, you know, get or put two franchise partners closer. In fact, uh, this week we are opening a second location within the same city. And I had to meet the franchise partner who is, you know, already running the opera, operating a store for the last 10 years and tell him, hey, we're opening the second location. We're opening up over the weekend. We are going to be opening up the store. And this is the reason we are doing it. And though the location is completely, it's about 15 kilometers away, but still he needed that reassurance coming in from the big boss saying that 
I think this is why we are doing it and it's okay. Your business is only going to improve because we're going to have more money to do better marketing out here. So that little bit of reassurance, that little bit of, you know, people get jittery when you have other stores opening up in your location, but we try to manage it by doing this uh, PR work with them. Location is just one way that Derby can use their data to give their franchisees a leg up. Different stores have different merchandise that is more tuned towards the uh, customer footfall that's happening in that place. There's a whole basket of merchandise that Derby makes, but depending upon the price points that sells in a certain market, depending upon the color that sells in a certain market, style that sells in a certain market. So we have the backend team that's continuously analyzing the complete, all the, uh, uh, we have CCTV cameras monitoring every store, and we are continuously monitoring it from the back end to understand what are the customer expecting in every store in terms of what is selling through better, how should the next replenishment go, what should be the type of colors out there, and uh, everything is tuned towards the local requirement because India may be one country, but India is actually probably every 200 kilometers in India, the entire look and feel and what sells, even the, the language changes, your culture changes and the attitude of people changes, the buying pattern change. So everything is more localized, more tuned. A lot of this work happens even before a new store opens. But that doesn't mean you can just set it and forget it. To be truly franchise first and achieve the goal of more successful entrepreneurs, you've got to spend significant time training them. In India, at least, people think when you're investing in franchise, it's all about, uh, you know, I've invested the money. It's like a bank deposit. I get 6%, 7% return on investment. It, franchise doesn't work that way. You need to invest your energy into it. You need to ensure that you're able to question your team members. You're able to look at your p on a regular basis. You're able to have an interaction with the company on a regular basis. So we ensure we have enough of training for the franchise partners for them to understand because most of them come as first generation entrepreneurs who have never been into franchise or never run a business before. So we are trying to pull them and get, get them into business. So we need to train them in terms of understanding how to look at business and how to become true entrepreneurs. So the responsibility we have taken on ourselves is how do we teach people how to become entrepreneurs? What is it that they need to do? How do they look at the business? Uh, what will be the type of strategy they need to follow and uh, you know guide them through the whole process and handhold them till they eventually are able to fly on their own. What you're saying is that in India, it was still a relatively new concept. So the people who were signing up didn't actually necessarily have experience running a fashion shop. And so part of your mission was actually to teach them how to be business people. In fact, uh, research shows that over 90% of businesses that open up in India shut within the first five years. 90% failure rate. That's how risky it is to open business. But the same similar research shows that close to about 70% of franchise business succeed within the first five years in the country. So we're able to reverse the whole process when you take a franchise. And uh, the vision is also how do we convert people into first generation entrepreneurs? Can we get in people and make them entrepreneurs? In Vijay's model, franchising is an ongoing relationship. And like any good relationship, it requires open channels of communication. What's most important is communication. It should be a two-way communication. Feedback is extremely important from the franchise partner. So there are multiple ways how we uh, keep in touch with the franchise partner. One is the sales head, as well as the cluster managers or the retail managers who are there. Be in touch with the franchise partners on a daily and weekly basis in terms of understanding what's happening within the business. 
So during my travel, I ensure that I, I invest time in terms of a lunch or a dinner meeting with my franchise partner, going through the entire records, taking whenever I go for a meeting, I take back the entire history with the PNL, with all the working about what is happening, the plus and minuses, and have a one-to-one -one discussion with the franchise partner or a cup of your probably lunch or dinner and discuss it out and tell, hey, I think this is working. I think this is where we need to strengthen. These are the issues that we have and this is what we need to sort. This is what the organization brand is willing to do and this is what we expect from you. So this will be the meeting point. So we do this, we do a threefold uh, uh, methodology of keeping in touch with the franchise, uh, with the franchise partners. So at least once a year, either you or one of your senior leaders meets with them or more often? Uh, the senior leader meets with them probably every 15 days. I meet with them. I meet with them once in three months, minimum. Once in three months is what I have a meeting with them. Uh, I, one thing I've realized: out of touch, out of uh, out of mind. You need to be in touch with your. He's he's your biggest. Let's let's be very honest. He's your investor. He's your biggest customer. And if you do not have the personal touch, people drift away, and you give an opportunity for competitors to sneak in. So we do not want to do that. We do not want to lose a uh, franchise partner. So we're very cautious about that. And we build systems and processes to ensure that they're constantly in touch. These open channels of communication come in handy because like in any business, franchisees will clash with corporate. Conflict is a part of business. There will always be when you have multiple people working together, ego conflict is bound to be there and that's human nature. And without conflict, it's impossible to have. But the whole thing is about uh, uh, how do we look at the entire situation? One is that we look at it from the perspective about, as I told you, we are more franchise first over the years. This is the learning that we had, is how do we more, be more franchise first and understand why the conflict is coming and what is it that they want out of it? If you feel that, yes, uh, what they're demanding or what they're expecting is something very realistic and something that's doable, we definitely do. If we feel, no, it's against the brand and it's going to be against their own interest because it's probably short-term but long-term is not going to help them, then we are, uh, uh, we are confident enough to go back and tell them, hey, I think uh, we will not be able to do this. In fact, a lot of time, being in a clothing line, a lot of time they want us to introduce products or services which may not actually align with the brand. So at that point of time, we are very clear that, hey, I, I, I don't think so. It's possible as a brand. This is the boundaries within which we work. Being franchise first also means that you stand by your partners, even when they're going through a rough patch. When franchises are underperforming, Derby works hard to figure out the underlying causes and to help fix them. We do this on a monthly basis. Part of a BSC itself is franchise profitability. Are they getting 20% ROI, return on investment? So close to about 95% of our franchise partners currently are profitable. So we monitor this extremely thing and wherever we find there is few months, there may be a dip probably. Some people slip into the red because it, we have to look at the entire year, but few months which are you know dull months, they do dip into the red. So that gives us thing, okay, they're going to red. What do we do to ensure they again are able to slip back and get back into their performance? What is it? Is it the you know attention of the brand that has not been there? Has there been a supply chain issue? Is there any marketing that needs to be done out there? Or is a franchise partner's attention diverted to some other activity? Is he getting married or probably you know he's invested in some other business? He's not investing the type of uh, in time that he used to invest. Or probably there has been a change in the retail team out there. What what is the root cause? So we do a complete root cause analysis and look into the issue and try to fix it before it blows out of proportion. It's easier to plug the boat when it starts leaking rather than the entire water draining out. So we 
Take care of that. Vijay's journey has been a roller coaster, but he's sharing what he's learned with as many people as he can, and he's setting a standard for the way that franchises operate across India. There's a common phrase in the franchising industry. At first, it's about we, but it quickly becomes about me. And I think that refers to the fact that at the beginning of the franchising journey, the relationship starts off as collaborative, it's win-win, we're in this together. But as time goes on, the relationship, you know, can become more combative as each party tries to maximize their own interests. Do you, have you experienced this? I think that was my first experience of franchising. I totally agree with him. That's how the tendency, general mind tends to go. But as a, as I've, I tried to build this culture post-2015, I always tell my team, ask yourself your question every time, what is the right thing to do and not what is the easy thing to do or what is good for you? What is the right thing to do? That will give you the answer. Not that the franchise model was wrong. It was something that was uh, outside in. I was trying to ensure I'm using my franchise partner to grow my business and become profitable. There's nothing wrong about it, but it was done with a very selfish intent. When I was able to sit back and realize that, hey, I think I need to reverse the whole process and look at how do I internally connect myself and how do I take responsibility for it is when things started to change. I think, uh, yes, it was far more easier to shut down, far more easier to lift your hands up, far more easier to protect whatever was left. But I said, that is not going to, I will never be able to look up to myself ever in the mirror after that. Because the biggest setback is to fall in your own eyes and the greatest joy is to grow in your own eyes. Vijay initially saw franchising as risk-free growth. But that growth didn't happen until he fully invested in his franchises. You don't need to have Vijay's ambitious goal of training 1,000 entrepreneurs. But if you approach franchising as easy money, you may be disappointed in the results. Before you can even start a franchise, you need a compelling and consistent brand. You need to identify locations that will generate strong footfall and have a strategy to localize products to that market. You need to source great talent for the franchisees and be committed to training them because entrepreneurs with the most passion may be better than those with the most money. And simplify things for your franchisees before they even open their doors so that they can focus on what's important. Even once they're up and running, the best franchises aren't left to their own devices. They're empowered by the franchisor. Provide them with research and real-time back-end data. Create channels of communication so you can build on what's working and fix what isn't. Franchises aren't magic money printing machines. Entrepreneurs can't just draft off a successful brand, and corporate can't get free growth. What franchises do offer is a model that combines the resources of big business with the tenacity of entrepreneurship. So if you can set up your franchises for success, you will all reap the benefits together. I want to give a big thank you to Vijay Kapoor for empowering thousands of entrepreneurs, both with his story and with his work. This has been Grit and Growth with the Stanford Graduate School of Business, and I'm your host, Darius Teeter. If you like this episode, leave us a review on your podcast app. It really helps us to share the stories of these incredible entrepreneurs with as many people as possible. To learn how Stanford Graduate School of Business is partnering with entrepreneurs in Africa and Asia, head over to the Stanford Seed website at seed.stanford.edu slash podcast. Grit and Growth is a podcast by Stanford Seed. Lori Fuller and Erica Amuake Ajay researched and developed content for this episode. 
Kendra Gladich is our production coordinator, and our executive producer is Tiffany Steves, with writing and production from Andrew Gannon and sound design and mixing by Alex Bennett at Lower Street Media. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.